Now is the time to accelerate innovation. T-Mobile for Business is powering Formula One Las Vegas Grand Prix operations and epic fan experiences with secure, reliable 5G connectivity. Because an event this big and this fast deserves a network that can set the pace. See what our 5G advanced network solutions can do for your business at T-Mobile.com slash now. View 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a Corolla built just for you. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. The following ad is sponsored by Pets Best Insurance Services. Pets come into our lives in many ways. Shelters, breeders, or unexpected encounters. But no matter how you found your pet, they become our perfect match. Unfortunately, finding the right pet insurance plan can be hard. That's where Pets Best comes in. With a little information about you and your pet, Pets Best will recommend a plan that meets your needs and budget. Visit PetsBest.com to learn more today. Your perfect pet deserves the perfect coverage. PetsBest.com. The Around the NFL Podcast, used to deliver your mail. (laughs) Welcome back to another edition of the Around the NFL Podcast. My name is Dan Hansis, and I am joined by a room filled with some heroes. Some heroes, I should say. Two. Yes, to my direct left, the man in black today, Christopher Wessling. Hey, Dan. And we did deliver people's mail. You did. Very well. Almost too well, you've told us. in the Burned up the route. Yeah, as they say, a little jargo. Uh, postal office, uh, postal service jargo. And next to Chris is, and if you're watching this on Periscope, you already know, Patrick Claybon. Hey, guys. Of NFL Network, one of our, um, I call him like the sixth man of the year. You need somebody off the bench? He's going to come in. He's going to give you 12 and 8 and a block and a big steal. And he's going to move the ball well. Yep, the crowd's going to overly react to anything I do, like sarcastically, like, yeah! They're going to chant for you at the end of blowouts. He didn't stumble and die. Yeah. Remember Ricky Pierce? Yeah. You're the Ricky Pierce of our podcast. Um, so this is the situation. Yes. This is the situation. We're going to hold this pod together with a little bit of spit and a lot of... Uh, a lot of uh, bailing wire? Bailing wire, uh, some statistical uh, fortitude. Oh, nice. Maybe some twine. Mark Sessler still out of the office. He's uh, not feeling himself right now. Well, I hope he's not feeling himself. He's not feeling well right now. A little bit under the weather. Uh, so Mark not with us. Hopefully he'll be back on Tuesday. Greg, of course, in London, uh, where he covered the Giants-Rams game that everyone or a lot of people uh, watched this morning. So what we're going to do uh, with some p- bodies missing today, we're going to get Greg on the phone a little bit later. Uh, soon, actually, because it's almost, I think, 2 a.m. in uh, England right now. Uh, so we got to get him on the phone so he can go to sleep. Uh, and then we're going to have some people that help downstairs in the newsroom uh, cover some games for us today. We're going to have a rotating um, chair right here to my right and have them sit in and talk football with us. So it's going to be a fun show, a different show, but still the flagship show of the Around yes. the NFL podcast, sponsored by the one and only, only Mr. Flame, 
and his economics class in The Hague, the Netherlands. Mr. F. Love that dude. Love his passion for life. And um, let's do this, guys. Let's start with the most exciting game of Sunday. Let's get it going, Sid. 42-yard field goal for the win just inside the left hash marks. Snap, the placement, swing of the right leg, kick to the uprights, and it is gone! The San Diego Chargers, in overtime, defeat the Atlanta Falcons 33-30. Oh, there it is, the call from Josh Loon of KIOZ. Who's the kicker for the Chargers? I'm blanking on his name. Right? Josh Lambo. Josh Lambo Swung that right leg. What Swung, a great name. Swung that right leg. The San Diego Chargers wiped out a huge first-half deficit, tied the game in the final minute of regulation, and then following a huge fourth-down stop in Atlanta's first uh, possession of overtime, got that game-winning field goal from Lando. A 33-30 win over the Fa- Falcons. <clears throat> Chris Wessling, Connie Fox nailed it. For once, the Chargers did the stealing and it's given them some new life in the AFC. She got the lock of the week right. There she was a- locked it up! <laughs> she locked it up! And that's a shot across Wes's bow because you hate the lock of the week. Well, yeah, I do. I'll admit that. How can you hate it when that the lock sound is so I, visceral? This, she locked it up! <laughs> she locked it. I, I don't like the concept of it, but the execution <laughs> has been pretty good with you uh, begging people to say whether you're going to lock it up. You were executed in this spot. Go ahead, Wes. Let's talk this game. There's a lot going on at the end of this game. As people tuned in, you had Deion Jones, the Falcons' wonderful rookie, couldn't wrap up Melvin Gordon on a third and one, and then Robert Alford knocked the ball out of Antonio hand, Antonio Gates' hands at the goal line. Next drive, Falcons come back. Once again, Julio Jones is not given the benefit of the doubt on a passer, pass on interference that? that really shaped a 58-yard field goal for Matt Bryant that grazed the crossbar just as it hit the upright uh, and Which, fell by the short. way, by the way, that the Chargers who have been blowing games all year, statistically, they lost those first four games. Two of them, they had a 99% chance to win, and it was historic the way they did it. I thought for sure, 58-yard from Bryant, even though he's 41, he was either going to drill it or they were going to have some stupid penalty, San Diego, that would lose the game. So when that happened, you're like, oh, wait, maybe this is a little different. <laughs> Then we go straight to overtime, and Dan Quinn hangs his red zeppelins. Fourth down. He hung some zeppelins. Walla Walla so. is a big onion. Uh, giant <laughs> sweet Spanish onions are good. And a red zeppelin is a big uh, red onion. Didn't work, though. He knows when he makes that call at his own 45-yard line that that's the game. That getting one yard determines whether the Falcons win or lose that game because it's an easy Whatever Phil Rivers has to go, whether it's 15 yards or 17 yards from that point to get in field goal range, the game's over if the Falcons don't make it. And Denzel Perriman, who's come up big since he got in the starting lineup last year, stops Devontae Freeman for a loss on fourth down. Claybon, I like that call. Did, did you? I know some people thought it was a little overly risky, but I like the onions. I, I, I try to separate. I mean, I'm okay with onions, but I, I try to separate the, the play call from the decision to go for it. Right. And, and you just got stopped on third and one. Uh, you actually lost yardage, and so they they come back and and try to run not not at the same spot. They they go in between the the guard and the tackle, and it, it, it can you shut heard, down as well. You heard a garbage hot take downstairs. You are the hot take ombudsman of NFL media. What was the hot take you heard that you corrected? Well, our our good friend Ali was about to say, well, if, if you don't get this, you don't deserve to win. 
And that's one that I've been asking myself for a long – what does that mean? Like, well, you know, if, if, if they don't get this one, they just don't deserve to win. Like, how many times has the team won a game after they after something happens where they, quote, unquote, don't deserve to win? I think that's one of those things that we just say a lot. Right. And it's like, ah, well – you don't deserve it, but it doesn't make it doesn't mean anything. I don't I don't know what that means. They they can still punt the ball, get a stop, and win they the could've. game. The they stats could've. nerds will tell you that getting one yard is easier than holding the other team for the rest of the game. But all fourth and one situations aren't created equal. And when the defense knows you're going to run the ball on fourth and one, the percentages go way down. This was a game that Falcon the Falcons had in hand, or in the first half, I believe it was twenty-seven ten. At one point in the first half. Uh, they the Chargers cut it to 27-17. The Falcons then had the ball at the end of the half, and it just seemed at any moment, whether it was at the end of the second quarter or in the or in the second half, the Falcons were going to go on that, uh, you know, put up another seven to ten points, seven to fourteen points, and turn the game into a laugher again. And it just never happened. And you got to give credit to the Chargers. I will say, and uh, you know, I was in favor of forking them uh, for the very reason that they were uh, their record and then their schedule, but they again have proved here that the Chargers, because of their offense, where they could score probably 30 against just about anyone, if they could just get some uh, defensive uh, play and then can make some plays at the end of a game where they've struggled, they're going to win a lot of these games, and they, they showed it today against one of the best teams in the NFC. It wasn't just the best game of the day. It was the most impactful game of the day because the Falcons were threatening to run away with the NFC South just to go out and hide as the best team in that division by far. And if you take their defense, which for three quarters in this game looked like they're following the 2009 Saints defense blueprint as an opportunistic group. They've got as many defensive touchdowns as any team in the league. They have 11 sacks over the last three games. They were looking a little frisky. And now you look at them and say, well, they've given up 26 or more points in six of seven games. And on offense, they're the most explosive offense in the league. But Tevin Coleman, who was – their game-breaking threat out of the backfield goes down with a hamstring injury in the mm. second half, spends yeah. the second half in the locker room, and that looks like a multi-week injury. I think – and then you look at the other side, San Diego. We, we buried them, or we wanted to bury them, and they're to me they look like they have as good a chance as any team in the AFC West to win that division right now. I think they're definitely the most interesting team uh, in the AFC in terms of those teams kind of under the bubble or on the bubble right now. So we'll keep an eye on it, and before we move on, I did troll Colleen a little bit. Uh, we we had our fun with Colleen on Thursday when she locked up this game for the Chargers. Before you go to that, we yeah. should mention Joey Bosa. Okay, go he's going to win Defensive Rookie Rookie of the Year if he he's, doesn't get in. Looks dominant. He is flat out dominant. Two more sacks today in two of his first three games. He's got multiple sacks. In addition to the times he was hounding Matt Ryan in the backfield, he's the Defensive Rookie of the Year. I think. Yeah, maybe they they should have had him on the field for the first couple of games of the season. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. Water under the bridge at this point. But, uh, yeah, Colleen, I, I trolled her a little bit on Twitter when it was 27-10, uh, and I, I, it's only fair that uh, I gave her the opportunity to leave me a voicemail that would be played on the podcast, and I have not heard this voicemail yet. Sydney will now, um, you know, we're all going to take uh, what's coming to us for doubting Colleen's lock of the week. Hey, Dan, it's Connie. Leaving a voicemail is, like, not really my thing unless I can't get to the end button soon enough, and then it's just, like, an awkward thing. But this is for real. Just wanted to let you know, um, I really hate when people gloat. Like, nobody hates gloating more than me, except when I'm doing it. 
the San Diego Chargers. I locked it in. I channeled Sessler. I think he has everything to do with this. They won. They beat the Falcons with a injury-riddled secondary, all the odds against me and them. So if sandwiches are involved, I'll have an Italian host with oil and vinegar, hot peppers, and then pickles on the side. Calling her shot. Thanks, Chargers. This is like the ultra-rare setting the – um, the wager after the the uh, situation happened. Is this I didn't a, integrate in any sandwich. Is this a penalty for your preemptive trolling? Maybe. Did you notice what else she did there? What? Nobody hates gloating more than she does, just like nobody loves the Falcons more than she does, as she picks against them for the lock of the week. Very interesting. Let's move on. Keenum out of the gun, five wide on an empty set, third and ten from the Giants, 15. Lifts his right knee up, back down to the ground. The snap comes. He throws off his back foot. High arcing football, left side. Dominique Rogers Cromarty picks it off. He was the only one in that zip code. He intercepts it nonchalantly, walks out of the back of the end zone. Case Keenum, four picks in the game, and that one will put this game on ice for the Giants. Yes, uh, DRC had the game that the interception that clinched uh, the. Uh, win for the New York Giants, but it was Landon Collins' pick six in the first half that turned the tide in London where the Giants took advantage of four Case Keenum interceptions. The last one you just heard there, uh, called by Bob Papa of WFAN. Uh, the fourth interception locked up a 17-10 win for the Giants over the Rams at Wickenham Stadium. Greg Rosenthal was at this game, and now I believe he's going to join us from his cottage estate in the hillside, we got Greg Rosenthal on the line. What's up, buddy? What is happening? <laughs> you sound tired. <laughs> what time is it? Look at all that fake energy I got. Are we on? On? <laughs> we are on. <laughs> it's uh, two thirteen in the morning. Look at you. Yes. Look at you, Greg. Well, I think the best way to do this, Greg, because I know you are tired. Uh, so we'll save kind of the talk about your trip. Uh, to London for Tuesday's show, and maybe just Ooh, okay. why don't we just focus our conversation right here a little bit on the game? And I, I, I guess um, you, if you could tell me a little bit about what you saw, what was the vibe uh, in the stadium today? Mm-hmm. The the fan breakdown. Tell us a little bit about being at this game today at Wickenham Stadium. Twickenham Stadium. Oh, yeah. so close. Uh, <laughs> oh, so close. I'm gonna get killed for that. <laughs> It was awesome. I had so many people comment on our, our mispronunciation of the words uh, throughout <laughs> just the week. Did it twice. Um, the the vibe was incredible. Just the the walk from the train station. It was packed, kind of like the the four train would be in in New York up to a Yankees game, and then the walk uh, through the neighborhood of just tens of thousands of uh, NFL fans, tons of insane jerseys, and the crowd. I mean. You know, it's it's tough to compare it to any other games. I mean, it's not quite like a Super Bowl atmosphere, but it they were ready to to see some great plays, which didn't really happen in the game. It was it was a lot of Giants fans. It was probably like half Giants fans and then half, or maybe not even that much, and then, and then the rest uh, the rest people just looking for something to cheer from and, and not really getting it. From did the did the people that didn't really. Um... Uh, were there to look for something to cheer from. Did they understand how terrible Case Keenum was uh, down the stretch of this game? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there was there was 11 straight punts at one point. I mean, the crazy thing is that the Giants' offense was 
probably as bad or worse than than the uh, than the Rams. They had 230 yards of offense. They they didn't top 45 yards of rushing for the third straight game. So I, I again I felt bad for the London crowd that they got this lousy game. But at least at least it was exciting at the end, and the crowd was loud. You know, Henry Hodgson, uh, handsome Hank was sitting next, and he said he thought it was the loudest. Uh, that any international series game was. Maybe it was the stadium. The stadium was just really cool. I think they're going to end up playing there for a long time. Oh, cool. And what uh, uh, what were some other takeaways of the game for you? Uh, what do we got? I mean, they got to they gotta put Jared Goff in, right? <laughs> yes, they got to put in Jared Goff. This is like a couple of weeks overdue now, in my opinion. What's What are you waiting for? Seven or nine BS? It, it's insane, and there were, you know, we reported, Steve Weiss reported that uh, he's been making progress in practice, and they're not as anxious. And so I was kind of thinking Fisher might might give a, a tip to that right after the game, but he came out before anyone even asked the question and said, it, it wasn't our quarterback's fault. We got a lot of bigger problems than our quarterbacks. I'll change the receivers before I change the quarterback. I mean, i got to defend Jeff Fisher on this one. Jared Goff was brutal in the preseason. It was obvious that he wasn't close to being ready to start. And this team was 3-3 three and three heading this, into this game. They have to worry about getting into the playoffs, not not getting a rookie ready to play. You got to watch this game, man. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I watched I it. I'm, I saying you, I'm saying before this week, I don't think anyone should have been criticizing that decision. Yeah, if you want to turn fair. to him uh, now, that's fine. You're 3-4. and four, But I don't think – yeah, I don't think that you can really second-guess if you, you didn't can definitely see... second guess it because by like for instance having him playing this game he basically threw this game away. Jared Goff what? is even worse. We don't know that. But you didn't watch him in the preseason. He wasn't ready to West, play. West, Their coaching staff knows he wasn't ready West, to play. That's West why they didn't play him. When yeah. the preseason matters, this is a, a nice West trade. Listen, I'm telling you, dude. You don't. You the preseason don't matters when a quarterback either. can't do anything before the snap or after the snap. Those things you can tell in the preseason. Jeff Fisher says he's he's grown though. We're not as Let's anxious. see the kid. You drafted him number one. This is not a developmental pick. Get him in the lineup. Everyone else is playing their guys now. Don't be afraid here. In Case Keenum, you start Case Keenum, you're afraid. That's the way it seems to me. The, uh, I don't know. Right. I think if you listen to what they're saying behind the scenes, they were the ones that were putting it out there that he wasn't ready. And to me, they're kind of putting it out there now that they think he, he probably is. And I wouldn't be surprised as – as uh, adamant as Fisher was after this game, I wouldn't be surprised if it's a situation like the Jets have where he has time to watch this game. And he, he was quick to say the interceptions weren't all his fault, which was true. But there was another 50 passes, including about three, four, five wide-open guys down the field where Keenum's just throwing pop flies. I mean, he right. he, he doesn't have an, an NFL arm. And, and you watch Mannion and, and Goff warming up for the game, and, and they swing it. All right, do you want to, Greg, do you want to stay on and talk a little Pats football, or do you want to go to bed? I'm going to give you the option here. All right, I'll, I'll stay on. I also yeah. want to say, yes. I, know, I know we're going to talk about uh, – I know we're going to talk about, you know, the rest of the London experience on Tuesday, but I do want to say it was awesome. Everyone that came up to me today, especially, and, and, the, and the guys I met at, at awesome. the meetup uh, that say they love the podcast. It was, it was overwhelming how many people uh, came up and just kind of recognized me as I was, ru- as I was running around, and, and they love you guys. They love listening to the podcast every, every Monday morning. So shout out to all of them. Absolutely. It's, a, it's amazing 
um, how loyal and how really large our, our fan base is in the UK. So that is that is awesome to hear. Uh, Sid, let's uh, let's uh, move on to some Throne of Ease action. Third and seven for the Patriots from the Pittsburgh 36. Andrew snaps it back. Four-man rush for Pittsburgh. Tom throws down the left seam for Gronkowski. Catching stride past the five. Into the end zone. He takes a Steeler defender on the way to a touchdown Patriots. Bob Sochi of KBZ. The New England Patriots keep rolling. Tom Brady threw two more touchdown passes without a turnover. And Landry Jones didn't make anyone forget about Ben Roethlisberger as the Patriots. Moved to 6-1, and one, an NFL best 6-1, and one, a 27-16 win at Heinz Field. Mr. Wessling, Pittsburgh, had their chances in this game, but they couldn't play sharp enough to, uh, to hang with the NFL's best right now. Yeah, from I had an eye on this game, and, and it surprised me that Landry Jones was probably the best he's ever been in the NFL preseason or regular season. He wasn't an embarrassment in this game, and that's kind of what I expected him to be. But then Brady and Gronk were just too much, and, and LeGarrette Blunt is – on pace for his best season ever. What did you see, Greg? Well, the, the thing that struck me with them is they score when they score, they score so fast. They score in bunches. It, it happened against the Bengals, and it happened a bit in this game that they can just tread water for a quarter or 20 minutes at a time, and it's like they're trying to figure out what the problems that the defense is presenting, and then they just solve it, and they just bash you with Gronkowski. It's been crazy. That Yeah, my takeaway here was – and I did the same thing as Wes, or I kind of had an eye on this game. I, I thought Pittsburgh had a chance in this game. Just like last, last week Cincinnati had their chances, uh, Pittsburgh, if they would have played a little sharper, a little better football, they could have really had a chance to, to steal a game here, which, you know, at home you say, oh, what do you mean steal a game? But the Patriots are the Patriots, and playing without Roethlisberger is such a problem. But you have you had a situation here where you're, you're getting penalized, where that had, you had a touchdown wiped out on a penalty. You had Jones who threw a terrible end zone uh, interception, and you just you can't Claybound, you can't make those mistakes against the Patriots. They missed two field goals, as and you well. missed two field goals. And I mean, th- there was the one in the first half that was an issue, and then Darius Hayward Bay, by the way, in the past two games, like who is this dude? Yeah, playing like, like a guy, dynamic. <laughs> looks, looks like a completely different guy. But like I said, the holding penalty wipes away the touchdown. They missed the field goal. Edelman fumbles the punt return. And at that point, they could get a touchdown, make it a game, or at least a field goal. Yeah. They don't get any. That's the exact moment it was relegated to second TV status for me, the smaller TV. The Edelman fumble in the second half, it's, I think, a 10-point, 11-point deficit at that point. They can't move the ball an inch, maybe a yard or two. And then they settle for a 54-yard field goal attempt in some uh, conditions. That were, and it's always hard to kick in Heinz Field. And you knew the guy was going to miss the kick. And, of course, it goes wide right by a mile. And that was essentially the game. You know, they, they clearly didn't have anything left in the tank, Greg, at that. You're in a good position right now, Mr. Rosenthal. Well, it sets up well for the – game next week against the Bills, which now feels like if the Patriots win that game, I mean, they haven't clinched the AFC East, but it feels like the AFC East is almost sewn up halfway through the season. I'm not counting on them necessarily winning that game, but suddenly you'd be up by, what, three games halfway through the season without any real uh, things to worry about. Well, because it's the throne of ease, LaShawn McCoy aggravated his hamstring injury, and you would have to you had to guess either he's not going to play or he's not going to be close to 100%. Come on, Greg. An MVP candidate will be sitting the bench against the Patriots next week. Come on, Greg. Well, they've gotten they've gotten a little lucky. They're playing well. The AFC it's working out nicely in terms of the injuries and the luck. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna <laughs> second guess that. But the, you know, it's it's the first half of the season. And I'll let you go, Greg, on, on this note. 
And uh, listen, I'm, the hashtag gradual decline, it's coming. Everybody just, everybody's got to be patient with this, though. Eventually. I will tell you, though, Tom Brady has played three games. The Patriots have won all three. 75% completion rating, 1,000 yards, eight touchdowns, zero interceptions. Mm. It's only going to make the gradual decline look even a little bit more declinee. That's the way I'm looking at this. I heard the jury's still out on science. Hey, we found it. Yes. <laughs> Greg, did you hear? You know who has a gradual decline right now? Me and this performance yeah we got to get you off this sleep tight greg um by the way before before i go i'm here watching sky sports you know which which (laughs) telecasts all the games here in uh in london we can take these guys out i mean we we would provide better analysis than what's (laughs) going on here in between the game a shot across the bow of sky sports in a big spot Greg, bring let's... us over. Bring us over, Sky Sports. Put us on a all on. Bring Claybon over too. Hey, people will love it. <laughs> Good idea, Greg. Let's get out of here on one question, Greg. Can you guess what Gronk said after he caught his 68th <laughs> career touchdown pass? Oh, something, something stupid about 69. <laughs> <laughs> he said one more, and I got 69 TDs. There we go. Wait, hold on. <laughs> That's not all he said. Then he goes, "Know what I mean?" <laughs> With I imagine a oh, wink. He... All right, Subtle Greg. humor from Gronk. Go to sleep, Greg. Mr. Subtlety. All right, good night, guys. See you Tuesday, buddy. You. Safe journey home. Yeah, Let right. us move on to a big NFC matchup. The ball booted into the heart of the wind. It is Huff emerging from the lip of his own goal line up to the 15, the 20, 25, 30, 35, 40. Breaks through across midfield, down the near right side. 30, 35, 20, 15, 10, 5. Soars into the end zone for a touchdown. Josh Huff, his second career Kick return for a TD, 98 yards. Josh Huff's 98-yard kickoff return, as you heard from Mel Reese of WIP Sports Radio 94. In the second quarter, gave the Eagles a lead they'd never relinquish in an ugly game that started with five consecutive turnovers. Marron. It was the Eagles that came out on top, a 21-10 win over the Vikings, who Christopher Wessling are no longer undefeated. Bump in the road? or cause for concern for the team of around the NFL. I think there's some cause for concern. By the way, that 98-yard kickoff return was all the offense in this game, and it wasn't even offense, it was special teams. But they, these two teams have five turnovers in the first 10 minutes of the game, which is the first time that's happened in 30 years. 1986 was the last time there were that many turnovers <laughs> in the first 10 minutes of a game. This is supposed to be a, like one of the top matchups in the league. That, I mean, that's a 2016. It was actually kind of fun to watch. Right. It was good defense, and it was bad offensive line play, specifically for the Vikings. Sam Bradford, all three of his first-half turnovers came as the result of pressure. Jake Long signed off the street, former number one overall draft pick. They had a three-man rotation going on at tackle. Jake Long looked to me like was responsible for two strip sacks. Wow. In the first half. That's not good. Well, it's like there's a reason that he was on the street to be yes. signed off of. And, and when the Vikings lose two tackles, it's they lost so much already. There's always so much for them to deal with. But losing two tackles seemed like it really showed, especially against the Eagles. They don't have a ground attack to really keep defenses honest either. And doesn't look like they're going to be able to make a trade for a guy like Joe Thomas, who Pro Football Talk reported that the Browns won a second-round pick for him. Rick Spielman told uh, NFL Network's Judy Batista last week that he's not surrendering any more draft picks after giving up one for Sam Bradford. And I, and I 
believe he only has $50,000 to work with under the salary cap as well. So they're going to have to find an in-house answer at tackle, and I'm not sure that's possible. That is not easy. Minnesota had been turnover-free for 57 uh, straight offensive possessions to open the season. So things changed uh, Patrick Claibon real quick. What about the Eagles? I mean, uh, this obviously going by what we're hearing here, this wasn't a dominant performance, at least by their offense. And Carson Wentz still doesn't look like the guy that we saw the first few weeks. But another, that's a big win for them, knocking off an undefeated team. And, and every, a lot of people are saying, oh, this team's headed down, down to earth, a thir- three-game losing streak on the way. But instead, they get a big win at yeah, home. They get a big win at home over the team that nobody would, would have argued with you when you said that this was the best team in the NFL. And so they come in on Sam Bradford's revenge game. And they really just snuff out it was the, the liberation game. Actually, we decided, <laughs> and they're able to and they're able to, to to move the ball some. We saw Wentz have a touchdown pass to Doyle Green Beckham. Uh, Matthews had a big run. They were they were, of course they made the mistakes, but they made those mistakes and they still won. And that, so, their know. defense looks like it's different at home than it is on the road. They're so much more dominant at home, only averaging seven point seven points allowed in three games so far at home. And they, the Vikings couldn't get anything done on offense in this game. And while we were uh, we were getting set for game day live today, uh, Mike Nolan saw this game start. We were watching in the green right. room. And he, uh, we were talking about how the Eagles were blitzing. And he, he immediately said, well, that's what you got to do against Norv. If you don't, if you don't blitz, then he's going to, he's going to tear you apart. And that, and that's what they did. And it, you can see it, it really, it's going to bug anybody, but Sam Bradford was really having some difficulty dealing with the pressure today. Yeah. I, on Thursday, I, I did think this game could be a problem for Bradford just because I, I guess I need to see a little bit more from him to really take us away from everything else we've seen from Sam Bradford in his entire career. And this to me was a little disconcerting now that, and if the line is not going to be any good, maybe the, uh, maybe the Vikings are going to come down to earth. Or maybe this was just a little team of ATL yips they had this week. Maybe. Maybe they shake it off. Well, the Vikings have a good coaching staff, too. Maybe they'll regroup, go go with a different plan of attack, and fix this thing. Who knows? But the offensive line is definitely their area of vulnerability this year. Let's check out another big uh, matchup in the NFC. 22 seconds left. Stafford out of the gun. Three receivers stacked to the left side. Matthews got it. Back to pass. Looking left. Throwing. It is caught. Inside the five. Diving into the end zone. Touchdown Detroit Lions. And Quan Bolton fires that ball into the stands. Fire it. Lions have the lead back with 16 seconds left. How about that quarterback? <laughs> Excellent call from Dan Miller of MWJR. Matthew Stafford operated the two-minute drill with precision, connecting with Ancon Bolden when it mattered most, lifting the Lions to a 2017 win over the Redskins at Ford Field. And now we're joined to my right, just sat in, well quaffed. Oh, yeah. Oh, thank oh, you. Yeah. Uh, Impeccably quaffed. Impeccably quaffed. Alex Gelhar, uh, producer, fantasy writer extraordinaire, uh, NFL fantasy podcast. Uh, here he is to talk about the game. Stepped in, big pinch-hitting performance as a writer of this game, writing up this game at the .com. What's up, Mr. Gellar? Thank you. Thank you. Uh, the studio audience is really generous yeah, here. Yeah. You know, I, I listen at home so much. We and, pay for uh, sandwiches. It's great to receive such a warm welcome. Yeah. But I feel like I've made it to the big leagues here. You know, you guys, the number one podcast on NFL media. You have a sponsor, yeah. something yeah. we don't. Mr. F. Shout out Mr. F. So it's it's good to be here, and you know there was a mantra at this company back in the day of of one media group. So with Sessler down, you know we were more than happy to uh, step up to the plate here. Well, thank you, Mr. Gelhar, and uh, let's talk about this game. Uh, what did you see 
from Matty Stafford in this. Oh, I'm sorry, Matthew. We've been told yes. we can only call him Matthew. Uh, but once again, he, you know, th- this offense didn't start that great in this game, but they finished. They they did finish, and what was what slowed them down early was Josh Norman shadowed Marvin Jones largely out of the gate. He was in the slot a couple times that took Norman off of him, mm. but he didn't see a target until the third quarter, what? which left the passing attack to manufacture touches through Golden Tate in kind of like a souped-up Theo Riddick role, and then the running game really couldn't get going either with Zach Center and Justin Forsett, I think averaging somewhere around 3.6 yards per carry. So once Norman went down, that helped open things up a little bit. Marvin Jones connected on a big reception with Stafford that set up Zenner's touchdown, and then the offense was able to get rolling a little bit in the second half. What, what happened to Josh Norman? He, on Marvin Jones, really great catch. It was a 52-yard reception down the field. Norman was in tight coverage. Jones made the play, but he was concussed when he hit the turf Ooh. afterwards and did not return. Some people go, he suffered a concussion. Some people say he was concussed. Claybon, where do you come down on this? I, I just go with he hit his head on the ground really hard, and <laughs> he left the game, and he was being evaluated uh, for a concussion. Well, we'll see what that means for his status going uh, forward. And then the Redskins – they probably thought they had this game. That, that's a tough loss in a, in a division that's very competitive, the NFC East. This is a game that they're going to rewatch and know that they let get away because they had a ton of miscues uh, that, that cost them. Matt Jones fumbled into the end zone. He now has nine fumbles on only like 200-some career touches in two years. He's that's lost how you get out of the of league. Them. Yeah, it's not good. He he rode the pine for a little while afterwards. They also had a field goal that actually hit the top of the upright and was that. denied which was kind of baffling. They had over 200 yards of total offense in the first half and three points to show for it. I wrote about that uh, on the end around, uh, the kicker, Dustin Hopkins. 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 The, the odds, I mean, let's say the, the upright is like the size of a coaster, the top of it, let's say, your standard coaster, pint glass, yeah. bottom. Yeah. yeah. Okay. 45-yard kick. The, the upright is 10 yards up for the goalpost. And then it goes up 35 feet. It was 30 until two years ago. Now it's 35. So basically it hit a target that was 45 yards away and 45 feet up and plunked the top of it and didn't even make the kick. It was, it was pretty remarkable. Should have got at honest. least two points. Those odds are infinitesimal. <laughs> give him a couple. Give him 10 points. For Christ's sake, I would change that rule. Get the comp- Sydney, get the competition committee on the line. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. If I told you that Matthew Stafford had the most fourth-quarter comebacks and the most game-winning drives in the NFL since 2011, would you believe me? I believe in the cooter. <laughs> I would I would because the Lions the Lions are down a lot. So that helps when to set up fourth quarter comebacks and game winning drives when you're trailing in the fourth quarter. We all believe in the cooter. Yeah. yeah. The I mean president twenty twenty, right? Exactly. He's gonna, well he's gonna get some votes. Kanye V. Cooter is gonna be one of the great all time <laughs> presidential races. Anything else to take away from this game, Mr. Gelhart? Uh what I thought was really interesting was the Lions came into this game as football outsiders twenty fifth ranked pressuring defense. They could right. not manufacture a pass rush with uh Ansa being hurt and then Haloni Nada was missing time, but they got a lot of good pressure out of kind of a crew of guys in the middle with Kyrie Thornton, he's a Packers cast off. Uh, Kerry Hyder Jr., an undrafted rookie, and then Armani Bryant, who they scooped up from the uh, the Browns. They uh, hit Kirk Cousins eight times and brought him down twice, which was a big key in eventually slowing down that uh, Redskins passing attack. Um, Alex, 
your colleague Marcus is coming in next. He is. But since you are the producer of the NFL Fantasy Live podcast, I will let you give the plug because I feel like you're uniquely qualified for that. Oh, me. Well, thank you. Yeah. You guys can find it on NFL.com slash podcast as well, iTunes or Stitcher, whatever you use to download it. Episodes come out late on Monday and then late on Friday as well. Monday is recap, waiver wire, all injuries, all that jazz. And then Friday is our look ahead to the weekend matchup, sleepers, and all that jazz. There you go. Alex Gelhar, pinch hits. He bit it over the fence, guys. Yeah, this guy. He went deep, Mr. Gelhar. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Let's give him a round of applause. Oh, thank you. <laughs> God, this audience is the best. They are. Very you guys are the best fans in podcasts. We do. We <laughs> do. Even the fake ones. All right, so Mr. Gelhar steps out, and let's move on uh, with a AFC East battle. Daniel back to thrill. Blitz coming. Gets it off. Wants it downfield. Wants Parker's got him. He breaks the tackle. He's at the 30. He's at the 20. He's at the 10. Touchdown, oh, Miami. Oh, my goodness. Wow, what a turnaround in this game. Wow. <laughs> Kenny, Kenny Stills, Stills comes back. What a great catch and run after. That was Jimmy Cefalo and Bob Greasy. Cephalo. Cephalo of WQAM. I will get that wrong 45 more times by the end of the season. Kenny Stills, yes, salted this one away, but it is Jay Ajay, who is the Dolphins' wonder wall. The British running back became the fourth player in NFL history to deliver back-to-back 200-yard rushing efforts, leading the Dolphins to a 28-25 comeback win over the Buffalo Bills. And now another NFL.com fantasy stalwart. Marcus Grant sits to my right, just comes right in, very smooth, uh, replaces Alex Gelhar, and he, uh, Marcus, wrote this game up for NFL.com. What's up, bud? What's going on? I, I, I appreciate it. I appreciate the invite. Now, I don't know if this was on purpose, but uh, it's kind of a little-known fact. Wonderwall is the pump-up song for the NFL Fantasy Live podcast. Before, is it really? Before every podcast, uh, we sit here in this same studio, and we uh, we roll through Wonderwall one time before that, we start recording. Cause that it's is kind synergy. Of, it's kind of a mid-tempo ballad. You wouldn't think it was something that really gets you rolling. You know, as as Matt Franciscovist, the franchise, once said, you don't find your hype music, your hype music finds you. That's fair. That's fair. So tell us a little bit about this game, because at one point, the Bills were, uh, were ahead 17-6, and everything looked like it was uh, ready uh, for the Bills to keep their winning ways up, continue that winning streak, and then here came Miami out of nowhere. Yeah, I mean, obviously the, the big story was Jay Ajayi going over 200 rushing yards for the second straight game, and really – just looking like a completely different back than we saw early in the season. I mean, week one, he got left at home when the Dolphins left on their road trip. Wow. And it looked like, you know, he was kind of on his his last chances there with the team. But the last two weeks, he has looked like a completely different running back. And he's really kind of saved or resurrected the Dolphins offense. But early in that ball game, you talked about the Bills jumping out to a lead. A lot of that had to do with Miami mistakes, a lot of dumb penalties, poor special teams play. I mean, at one point, the, the Bills were set up on the Dolphins' 40-yard line after a 12-yard punt. Um, but offensively, it was it was hard for the Bills to manufacture anything. They didn't have any of their receivers with Robert Woods out. Uh, LaShawn McCoy was not the same guy playing on a bad hamstring. And you got to question that decision in general now, in hindsight, of course, but now that he's aggravated an injury that seemed like he heard it, in, I think, Wednesday on mm-hmm. practice. They pushed through it. They haven't played, even though there were a lot of reports floating that he wouldn't play. Now he might have injured it worse, and, yeah, we got the Patriots up next. That hurts. Yeah, no, it absolutely hurts because – Watching them without LaShawn McCoy, or at least without him at 100%, with no real wide receiver help to speak of, there's nothing out there. I mean, Tyrod Taylor did the best he could trying to move that offense, but there's just there, there are no threats in that offense at all with no Sammy Watkins and no Shady. From what you saw today, would you expect Shady to sit 
next week? Uh, I think they would. I mean, he really tried to gut it out, uh, but by the end, he was wrapped up, had a big ice pack on his on his leg. Uh, and, you know, here's the thing. Mike Gillisley is not a terrible running back. I mean, he showed some things a little bit when he got an opportunity. It's just that by the time they put him on the field, I think things had really started to fall apart for the Bills. We don't – nobody knows anything. We learn this no. every year in the NFL. <laughs> uh, the league leader in sacks, Lorenzo Alexander, who now has nine – on the season, uh, Wes, that that really uh, that that blows one's one away. I have never heard of a 33-year-old breakout season for a pass rusher. I think it's unprecedented. Some people tweeted me that Trace Armstrong had a really good year late in his career for the Bears, but he was good before that. Uh, Bertrand Barry had another like late season <laughs> Indian summer season. These guys were good before that. Lorenzo Alexander was a special teamer and apparently one of the greatest guys in the NFL because nobody says anything but great things about him. I mean, he looked and he he had the sack today. But on the whole, that linebacking group kind of wasn't as impactful as they had been in the past. I mean, that group with Alexander, the two Browns, uh, Preston and Zach, and, and Jerry Hughes, they had been kind of doing a lot of damage. Today, they were a little bit quieter. Do you think the Dolphins are going to get in a little run here? The, I think there's something here where they can get going and get kind of in this playoff picture uh, coming off a big win like this. I mean, I think they can. I think because the defense is starting to come around and play better right now, that's a big help. And I think they found something with Jay Ajayi. I mean, I think the biggest thing for Adam Gaze was to get away from this three- or four-headed running back committee he was trying to run. And I think they're going to have to lean on him until Ryan Tannehill can figure it out, if Ryan Tannehill can ever figure it out. Two things about the Miami Dolphins. Mario Williams showed up in a big way in this game. He uh, had an impactful performance. Was even, I think, I don't know who he was hugging. A, a coach on the sideline clearly was kind of an emotional release now that he, he was able to make an impact in this game. And uh, Handsome Hank, our uh, resident Dolphins fan, thought Ndamukong Sue played his best game as a Dolphin in this game. So if he's going to play like the guy they thought they paid $100 million for, uh, that's a big. I thought the front seven played too. very well. I mean, whether it's Sue uh, Williams, uh, Cam Wake, those guys up front really got after it today. against a Bills offensive line that had been playing as well as any outside of Dallas, really. Yeah, um, Gelhar plugged the fantasy podcast, and he did a great job. He did of a it. great plug. I will let you plug anything you want, even in your personal life. What you know, like about <laughs> yourself to to the ladies out there. We're live on Periscope right wow. now. Wow. Or, I don't know, anything. Or about the fantasy podcast or your own writing. Give us something. Uh, well, how about the, this? Uh, we do later on the night, on Sunday night, I guess I'd say that I do things I learned from the week where I just kind of compile some of the tweets of the guys in the fantasy stronghold, all the things we saw during the day that, that kind of caught our attention. And so uh, we kind of compile that into a bunch of things that we learned uh, in fantasy football, which, you know, the takeaway is that we learned that we really don't know much of anything. I w if I were you, I would have sold myself to the female fan base. <laughs> but that was your decision. It's got a striking new hairstyle. I Thank like you. It. I've tried to switch it up, go do something new it today. Is. It's, a, it's yeah. a beautiful journey. I appreciate uh, the hairstyles of uh, Marcus. All right, Marcus Grant, thank you for sitting in, buddy. Thank you. And uh, Get better, Sess. Get better, Sess. Free Sessler. Here we go. Let's keep it moving uh, with another AFC game involving an AFC East team. 151 to go before halftime. Under center is Ryan Fitzpatrick. Anderson motions from left to right. At the 13-yard line of Baltimore. Back to throw Fitzpatrick. Middle screen. Caught by Forte. At the 10. At the 5. Powers his way into the end zone. That's a Jet touchdown. And the Jets are a point after away from taking the lead with 145 to go in the first half. That was Bob Wischusen of ESPN New York. Yes, he's back already. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick replaced an injured Geno Smith, played turnover-free football, and the New York Jets ended their four-game losing streak with a 24-16 win over the Baltimore Ravens. 
who have now lost four in a row after a three and zero start. And uh, you know, Claybon. I mean, I don't know, Geno Smith. I, there is some guys are just star crossed, and he was the starter as we know last summer. Gets his jaw broke over a six hundred dollar plane ticket. Ryan Fitzpatrick takes off to the point where he throws the most touchdowns in Jets history, then gets paid off it, a one-year deal. So Fitzpatrick keeps the job, plays like the old Ryan Fitzpatrick. Geno finally gets in after, uh, what, 15 months out of the starting lineup, and he injures his knee uh, within uh, a quarter and a half back to the bench. We don't know when we'll see him again. No, And, and the thing is with Geno and sacks, it, it never looks – some guys look comfortable taking a sack. And it's the guy goes down, and, and you're not really worried about him. It, it looks like real scary danger whenever Gino goes down. Yeah. You saw you saw the rookie Udon coming from the other end. Gino didn't see him. He turns around, sees him too late, and then he gets twisted down like that. And he you got just, caught under. You just knew that that it wasn't going to be good. And then he's trying to walk it off on the sideline, and you could you could see it in his face. And he was so happy. After that <laughs> touchdown know. to a noon one, it's like, yes, the, it's finally over. I got and punched I, in the face. Everybody blame me for getting punched in the face. And and I'm gonna I'm the last I'm not gonna question anybody how injured they are. We don't know how what's going on. But after the game well, Gino came back after the half in street clothes and stood on the sideline for the rest of the game. And then after the game said it wasn't thought to be a serious knee injury and he didn't and he didn't think anything would come out of the MRI. I guess I'm wondering a little bit, a guy that had this this amount of time out of the lineup, you would have to drag the guy off the field. I'm, I was a little surprised that I saw Ryan Fitzpatrick so quickly, unless it was a more serious injury. I guess, I don't know if I'm calling him out on it, but it was sounds a little like surprising. Yeah, it, 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 it sounds like it's a little, little call-out. I'm just saying it was a little like, surprising to be told it was not a serious injury. You're not the only one. He's out, he's out of his uniform by the third quarter. Didn't Joe Namath make a similar comment? I didn't see what uh, Joe Willie said. But he I, said exactly the same thing you did, basically, that – if if this guy can stand on the sideline, he should be in the game. Which yeah. is yeah, that's it's it's weird. It, it's always weird when it's like an outright questioning of somebody. That's favorite. what I'm saying. I'm not yeah. like totally unless comfortable it's Jay doing Cutler. It. You can't question anybody yeah. for not playing. Yeah, I'm not totally comfortable doing. It. I, let me just say, I was surprised that we didn't come back with a report that he had a potentially serious injury. Anyway, but let's talk about the game a little bit. Fitzpatrick comes in. He doesn't do much. He starts seven for seven. And Lee, with that touchdown drive, uh, touchdown pass to Forte, doesn't really do anything. They take the air out of the ball in the second half, and the Jets won the game uh, despite falling behind ten nothing because the Ravens and West. We talked about this could end up being the worst game of the week. It was not a, a fun game to watch. The Ravens, after a pretty good first half with Joe Flacco, who had the bad shoulder, they were terrible in the second half. It was one of the worst halves of football you'll see from any team offensively. Um, uh, all season, uh, Flacco threw two interceptions that led to two, 10 jet points, and that was pretty much it at that point. Uh, so the Baltimore offense still lost. They're still beat up physically, and now they're losing week after week after week. Uh, so after starting 3-0, and you're 3-4 and in deep trouble. So these are two teams that most likely are going to be the outside looking in, from my perspective. The Ravens are materially different on offense than they were early in the season. They had one of the best offensive lines in the league early when Ronnie Stanley looked like a great rookie left tackle. Marsha Yonda, the best guard in the league over the past half decade. Those guys have been out. And then Steve Smith's injury, who knew that a 37-year-old, 38-year-old wide receiver was that important coming off an Achilles injury? They haven't been able to move the ball consistently since he went down a couple weeks ago with an ankle injury. It tells me that that was a flaw in the roster design, that you were asking that much from 38-year-old Steve Smith coming off that injury, but... You know, I'm not going to question that either. I'm not going to question that. Well, we, we said that all offseason, that this team has as many question marks as any team in the league just because they're so old. And for the second time 
uh, this season, the Ravens get a turnover and then give the other team the ball back and actually give them yardage on the, yeah. on the same play. Matt, Matt Forte had a rush inside the 10-yard line where the Jets are trying to go in with, for a score. He fumbles it, ripped away by – who is it? Uh, Timmy Jernigan. Timmy might Jernigan. Have, he might have it forced was. it and recovered it. And then for some reason – Acts like he's Walter Payton. Yeah, he tries to turn the corner. He tries to put a shake move on Brandon Marshall. And he gets stripped. Yeah, so that was kind of this game in a nutshell. And then the final point, um, actually, you know what? We could talk about Ryan Fitzpatrick had some strange things to say to the press afterward about the team not believing in him. I I was not a big fan of it. Ryan, just play the game. Who knows if you get another start? But he seems to think that the Jets kind of quit on him. Uh, But I do – who I really want to hear from is not Ryan Fitzpatrick. I got to hear from my old man, Keith Hansis, who week after week since the season started has only had losses to talk about on the show. And finally, some good news. His name is Keith. His dad's dad. No doubt about it. He's a big Jets fan. What is he going to say about the game today? What is he going to say about the game today? Jets week seven. Finally, they get a victory. Uh, thought the defense played aggressively, while the offensive played it very passively. Uh, and they were lucky to get out of that game with a win because uh, you can't play that way. You got to play offense. You got to play aggressively on both sides of the ball. One, there was one play that I thought was one of the most amazing plays I've seen in a long time. Three fumbles on one play, and they're just lucky enough to get that back and score a touchdown. So, hooray! The Jets finally won. Fantastic. Thanks. Bye. Keith, happy. Thank God. We needed that. (laughs) We needed that. The Jets are now two and five. Let's uh, move on. Talk about another game in the AFC. Empty backfield for Andrew. Don't throw a pick. Luck drops (laughs) to throw. Sets up. He throws back to the end zone. Touchdown to Doyle. Jack Doyle with a catch. And the Colts with a minute 55 to go lead 26 to 23. You believe the whole time. You know the radio guys have a crisis of confidence, but right before the snap says, please don't throw a pick. Bob Lamey, the guy that dropped the F-bomb of uh, ESPN 1070, WFNI. Uh, Andrew Luck, guys, is not the problem in Indianapolis. I repeat, Andrew Luck is not the problem in Indianapolis. The quarterback threw for 353 yards and three touchdowns, including the go-ahead score to Jack Doyle that you just heard. And the Colts bounced back from the killer loss to the Texans with a 34-26 victory over the Tennessee Titans, uh, and this game was sealed, gentlemen, by a gray beard. Robert Mathis had a strip sack, led to a defensive touchdown that ended any chance of a t- Titans comeback in the final minutes. And, Mr. Claybon, this is another um, shaky game by Marcus Mariota and the Titans' offense. Yeah, and you coming into this game, you, you find out, and I didn't, I didn't know this, they hadn't, they hadn't beaten the Colts in five years. And, wow. and so it's you're watching and you're hoping for, for something to happen. You know that the Colts are missing playmakers on the outside. And so what you need to do is keep T.Y. Hilton from getting on top of you. And then we're looking up and, and there's T.Y. Hilton catching a 43-yard touchdown where he's toasting a safety. Uh, they had they had that third and goal. We just heard the, the don't throw a pick call. <laughs> Everybody and their mom, it feels like it's like, well, Jack Doyle's going to get this ball. Here they are, third and goal. Jack Doyle runs a double move and gets wide open. And I don't. Chris, why is why is Marcus turning the ball over so much, man? We what? talked about this last week that even with those passer ratings he's putting up in the touchdowns, he's not throwing well. The numbers are a little misleading. He's missing throws. He doesn't look as comfortable in that offense as you would like him to. And I, I kind of glanced at this game quite a bit today, 
every time I looked up, he was missing a throw or making a mistake. And I know the numbers don't look bad when you look at it. I think he finished with a 95 passer rating. He, he had a, a late-game touchdown drive to Delaney Walker when the Colts kept committing brain-dead penalties and the Titans took advantage of it. But Mariota is not playing well despite his recent little string of success. And if you if you tell me that, that Delaney Walker is going to go off, DeMarco Murray is going to have 100 yards, and it's like, well, the Titans are going to be in this game, but they just – And they were, but – they they couldn't close, and you can't close in your building against, a, a, let's face it, a fatally flawed Colts team that's probably not going anywhere this year. That really tells you, again, where you are. But neither team, again, in the AFC South, which is, Wes, but uh, two teams that are three and four, uh, what team do you like better of these two, Wes? If you want to spin forward by the end of the season, look into the crystal ball, which team will have a better record come the end of the season? Or well, the same team, essentially. I've been saying for a few weeks, I don't – I know the rest of the roster is bad, and I know you can't have confidence in the coaching staff, but I'm picking the Colts to win this division because of Andrew Luck. And for all of the people who have no eye for football and are dying to pounce on Andrew Luck, take away two of his top three receivers and his number one tight end, and he has the second most completions of 15 or more yards of any quarterback all season. That's the quarterback Andrew Luck is. Andrew Luck is not the problem. I repeat, Andrew Luck is not the problem. Let's move on. Third and goal, two-yard line, 14 seconds to go. I think he got to throw it here. Here's Carr. He's going to throw right. Throws. It is caught. Touchdown, Michael Crabtree on a quick slant. He beat Prince Amukamara on the end cut. And again, Tom, Amukamara was shading him while he moved late. Derek Carr's touchdown pass to Michael Crabtree just before the half gave the Raiders breathing room on their way to a 33-16 win over the Jaguars. Um who, you know, again, these guys look like total pretenders. Wes, if you want to get healthy, play Cleveland. But if the Browns aren't available, see see if the Jaguars are. Go ahead. See if they're available to play. And once again, the quarterback's the problem. I didn't see the game. I got a lot of tweets about Blake Bortles' wind-up still being an issue. And when at halftime he's 5 of 14 for 57 yards and in an interception, it's exactly what happened last week. He couldn't move the ball. And this time he couldn't – he didn't have a great fourth quarter or – the defense wasn't as generous in the fourth quarter like they were last week. But I think the Jaguars are a sitting duck. I think they're going to lose. Just to, I'm going to pick them to lose every game until Bortles fixes his delivery. Even the, the touchdown pass that he did have to Julius Thomas, Julius Thomas had no business catching that ball. <laughs> there were three Raiders right around him. And the juxtaposition when you had the comparisons, people were talking quarterback comparisons in the draft class. And it's like, well, Bortles is, was way ahead of Derek Carr. Derek Carr looked like, six times the quarterback that Blake Bortles did. We heard the touchdown pass to Michael Crabtree. The play before that, he's rolling to his right, throws an absolute dime running to, to Crabtree at the end of the half, and then he finishes it off. Crabtree gets an egregious taunting call for throwing the ball in the air, which was whatever. Well, I saw a taunting call today. I'm trying to think who who got called this time. Uh, but it was for spinning a football after a reception where he was out of bounds because he spun the ball and it was on the he was on the oppo- the opposing team's sideline. I guess that was seen as a taunt. I, I just can't, I can't deal with it. We got to make sure the kids at home are watching <laughs> and they know that this is bad and they don't grow up, you know, celebrating things that make them happy. The Jaguars are the biggest bust in the league to me because in terms of when you get excited about teams and the, the way the NFL machine cranks up throughout the summer. And you look at what this team has become. They're just as bad as they ever were. 
uh, only now they have more talent than they ever had. Or I guess we, we think they do, but when if, if we're going to start by talking about the quarterback as the problem, do you really have as much talent as you thought? Because maybe Blake Bortles West is a physically talented passer, and he's had numbers that he's put up in his past. But if this guy is, like you're saying, has these mechanical flaws and he can't move the ball, the team on offense – they are right back where they started in a lot of ways where they don't have a quarterback right now. It's quite the conundrum. You've got a quarterback who has all the physical gifts that you want, and in two of the three years he's played, he's been undone by faulty mechanics that your coaching staff can't fix in season. So that's a problem. Off season, you're going to fix him, and then as soon as September starts again, he's broken again. That puts your franchise in a really weird place, and you might have to consider a quarterback next year. End of coaching staff. Wow. And maybe a GM. I mean, you can't have your quarterback holding the whole team hostage every week. You either fix it with a new coaching staff, or you go get a new quarterback. But you can't. Like, you can't live this way. If I ha- if I had to guess, I would think that they're going to say Bortles has the talent and he's flashed the ability that we're not going to explore a different direction. We were going to go with another coaching. staff. And I wouldn't blame them for thinking that because yeah. they've seen those traits on film that he can do it. If his delivery's right, and it's broken right now. I forget who to, to shout out. I, I saw the tweet that Bortles, in 36 career games, has 52 turnovers. That's amazing. That's a lot. And, uh, you know, quietly, the Raiders 5-2 and two and undefeated halfway through their road schedule, 4-0. and oh. That's a nice little trait for a team that uh, uh, if, they don't, uh, if they do get back to the playoffs for the first time, and then they don't beat out the Broncos, and they're on the road in a playoff game. Keep an eye on the Raiders, who don't have any fear of going on the road. Uh, let's check out another team in the AFC West. Breeze takes it, has a pocket, now throws it late over the middle. The pass is going to be deflected and intercepted. Sorensen up to 40, 35, 30, 25, Sorensen, 15. Cuts back left, 10, 5, touchdown! Kansas City on a 45-yard pick, 6 by Daniel Sorensen who for the first time in his career can swim in the nectar of the end zone. (laughs) (laughs) Mitch, Mitch Holtis of KCFX with the call. (laughs) Swim in the nectar of the end zone. Yes, Daniel Saracen, do it. Don't you want to drink it? Why are you swimming it? I don't know. It's contaminated now. Sorensen had a pick six of Drew Brees, as you just heard, in Kansas City. They're just enough uh, in their building, a 27-21 win over the New Orleans Saints, who continue to struggle when not on their playground in the Superdome. Uh, Mr. Claybound, the Chiefs, there we go again. They're 4-2 and two, right in the mix here in the AFC playoffs, playoff race. Do they, do, do they deserve more respect than they're getting? I think they do, and mainly that's a, a product of number 11 playing quarterback for them, and so people – Kind of sleep on Alex Smith, but he did what he needed to do. But in this game, the Saints, they outgained them 463 yards to, to 326. Uh, Breeze had had three touchdowns. We heard the, the call in the Sorensen uh, interception return for the touchdown. Sweet nectar, baby. Yeah, gets, gets that sweet nectar. Nobody had a faster 60-yard shuttle than Daniel Sorensen in the past 10 years. Really? As, as, a, as a wide receiver or a safety or anybody. Some corners beat him, but that guy can run. I'd never even heard of him before this yeah, game. Yeah, speedy guy out of BYU. Anyway, <laughs> checking the, oh, the combine stats there. Wow, Sydney behind the glass raising the roof, bringing back raising the roof in honor of her friend, Mr. Sorensen. It's been a good day. She's very happy. I'm so stoked. If Sydney's happy, I'm happy. Yeah, <laughs> make, that, make that happy for everybody. But it's really um, – this was an example of the Saints just not making the big play. Uh, we saw Spencer Ware score the long touchdown on the screen pass. Uh, Saints had opportunities. Uh, Ingram had the fumble in the red zone the right after right after the drive where he had the touchdown, and and they just they they gave they gave things away. They okay, gave the game away. I want I need some help with this. 
Uh, Jamal Charles was active in this game, and there were some reports that maybe he was having some knee issues, but he was active in this game. He got the ball. He got one carry, did not get a yard in the his solitary rush. Uh, Spencer Ware, who obviously here is their running back of the future, 24 years old, 77 yards on 17 carries, also did some damage as a receiver, two for 54 and a touch. Uh, Wes, why isn't Jamal Charles more involved in this team? Why is it what is something going on that we you, don't know about? You already highlighted it. His knee's not right. I mean, we heard that during the week that his knee he looked like he suffered a setback. So why even give him the ball? Why is he involved in the That's game? a good even question. A bit? I think that would be my question. Why not use Sharkandrick West as your backup running back? If if Jamal Charles' knee isn't right, you sit him down and get it right. That would be my way to approach it. If yeah, if he was just a scratch, I would understand it a little bit more. But the fact that they had him active, they gave him the ball once, uh, maybe he wasn't feeling right. I don't know. It just, this is two weeks after he himself said he's as fast as he ever was. Maybe the setback Seems happened like since then. But something's going on here. You could still you could still be fast, but it, it's probably a little bit different when you're when you're coming back and you're wanting to make cuts in a game where where guys are diving around at your legs. I think what probably what happened was they they had the carry. They asked him how he felt, and he was honest at that point. And, and you know, how many knee surgeries for Claybon? Uh, fourth one is coming up. Oh uh, wow! As soon as number four on the way. Yeah, we get. Uh, we Some get, people talk about that, like how they have babies on the way. Yeah, uh, which I do. Well, you do. Congratulations, <laughs> Thank by you. the way, on that. But you also, oh, you're fourth, huh? Oh, good. Is your, your history of knee trouble? Is that why you uh, refused our invitations to get you out on the softball field? No, I, I refuse. We've had this conversation. It was extensively, exclusively based. Uh, on the fact that I am an embarrassing softball player. But then uh, after, through the discussion, through the, the lengthy analysis of the, the team, I realized midway through the season that I could have provided something, and that bothers me to this day because you guys had an emotional, fantastic season, and I was only a part of it as a fan. You would have gotten a ring out of it. Yeah, that's that's a huge regret. That's me. something that sticks with somebody. <laughs> I understand that. All right, let's uh, move on and talk about – I'm not too excited about this game, but we talk about every game yes. on the flagship show. Every game, uh, let's move on to a game that was played at the great big bell bottom. The snap, play action fake, dropping Winston, looking with, throws a pass toward the end zone. Caught ball, touchdown Tampa Bay. Winston throws it to Russell Shepard, and the Bucks take the lead. Tampa Bay comes back from the dead in the first touchdown <laughs> grab of the season, the second career touchdown by Russell Shepard. They were dead? <laughs> They were down 14 nothing to the 49ers. That is, that's as close to catatonic as it gets. Jameis Winston. That call, by the way, was Gene Deckerhoff of WFUS. J- Jameis Winston threw three touchdown passes, and Jaquise Rogers ran for 154 yards to lead the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to a 34-17 win over the San Francisco 49ers. Um, this was a game uh, that the 49ers jumped out to an early 14 nothing lead, but... Tampa Bay came back. And, uh, Wes, I know we don't love uh, either of these teams. Got to give the Bucks credit. Got to give them some credit. I thought they were a stinking dog team that deserved no respect. And they, you got to give them credit for two straight wins. Carolina blew the previous week's game. So, I, you know, I wasn't really ready to give them. But they come back from 14 nothing down in this game. And Quiz Rogers is a season saver. Guy who had never had eight, 18 carry, more than 18 carries in a game. Has 56 combined in his last two games. He's got to be sore. And hits 100 yards in both of those games. Looks like a legit NFL starter. And that guy, to win in the NFL, you need guys to step in like that. 
and that's that's Jaquiz Rogers is not a very large person either. No, getting huge volume carries in the middle of the field. He's going between the tackles. These aren't these aren't pitches to the outside trying to beat a guy to the corner. And Jameis had the typical early Jameis interception, but he didn't follow that up with another one. And then bad quarterback play. He was good. Mike Evans was good. Uh, but then you you also got to look at the opponent as well. And San Francisco kind of wilted uh, towards the end. They made some pushes, but then they uh, they were the 20, 2016 49ers. We talked about how important Navarro Bowman is to this defense. As important as any linebacker in the NFL to his own defense, considering what they have behind him. And they've been an absolute train wreck against the run since losing Bowman. Uh, now sitting to my right is a monster, both in, in terms of uh, the way that he, he attacks NFL analysis downstairs in the newsroom and also physical build, a very muscular, uh, handsome young man. Nick Shuck uh, of the NFL.com news team now joins us. He uh, pinch hit with uh, some really good write-ups, uh, starting with Tampa Bay, San Francisco. What did we see, Mr. Shuck? How are you, by the way? I'm fantastic. Congratulations to a Cleveland guy. Got the Indian. How about the Indians, by the way? Yeah, this is very Cleveland in a way. Even though we can, this is we could start saying that stuff less because they're starting to win all the time. But uh, first time they're in the World Series since '97. They haven't won since what '48. Yep. And nobody's going to root for him. Everyone's going to be rooting for the damn Cubs because the Cubs haven't won since 1908. I don't believe in damning the Cubs. what do you think about it? You well, here's about? the thing: we're used to being uh, against the world. There's a there's a saying of Cleveland against the world, Ohio against the world. It, it, it uh, jumped on board with uh, Ohio State a few years ago. Okay, and uh, it was uh, with the Cavs the whole time too. So we're used to it. I do. That is a you would think, and maybe hot take on Budsman. Uh, Patrick Claiborne <laughs> could shoot this down. Like how that's a thing. But the, it is a thing. That nobody believes in us angle that the Indians could ride hard going into this World Series. I kind of like that because th- it's not a it's not something they have to talk themselves into. It's a real thing. This is the World Series is going to get its highest ratings in years, uh, and everyone is going to be watching because they want to see the Cubs break the curse of the Billy Goat. That's that's certainly a thing that they could say, but you know, oh, take it down as me. Uh, I guess I'm required to say that that's not going to have any impact on whether the balls are fair or foul. And that is why he is the hot take on Budsman. Uh, all right, Nick, back to this game. Uh, Colin Kaepernick, how do you look? Uh, good early. Uh, they, the, the offense was efficient, got down the field in uh, just a handful of plays, and it almost looked too easy. I was like, this isn't the 49ers I'm used to watching. Um, and it was encouraging, and then it all fell apart. Yeah, they went up fourteen to nothing, and then couldn't do anything for much of the game while the defense struggled to stop the run, and Tampa Bay slowly but surely took over, and they never could really counter. Thirty-four to three outscored uh, the Bucks, outscored the Niners in the last three quarters. Uh, do you want to? Can you stick uh, stick around and talk a little Browns football yeah, as sure. well? All right, let's move on, Sid. Dalton back to throw. We're down to five seconds left in the half. He's going to throw a high, deep Hail Mary pass into the end zone. And it is bobbled and caught. A.J. Green makes the catch on the ricochet Hail Mary. A 49-yard touchdown pass as a prayer is answered in the end zone by Adriel Jeremiah Green. (laughs) The voice of my teenage years. That's Dave Lapham cheering in the background. I recognize that voice anywhere. Hey, you know what? If you're going to be a homer, be a homer. Go all the way. Lapham did it there. Dan Horde also on the call there. WCKY, ESPN 1530. Yes, the Cleveland Cavs are champs, and the Indians are in the World Series, but the Browns? 
Well, they're still the Browns. Andy Dalton threw for three touchdowns, including that first half ending Hail Mary answer to what Adrian Jeremiah Green. Adriel. 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 Uh, in a 31-17 win for Cincinnati over Cleveland, uh, Mr. Uh, Nick Shook. A lot of concern about that Cincy offense this season, but then they roll up 559 yards on Cleveland. Are they all good now? Well, here's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> that that whole heavy side that's years of, of yeah, the, gotcha. you know. Um, that whole great thing, you know, with the Cavs and the Indians going well, this Hail Mary epitomized what is Cleveland and, and what is the Browns and what have, have been the Browns for the last, you know, most of the last two decades. So, yeah, th- there's a reason uh, for encouragement on Cincinnati's side. But then again, you are playing the Browns, whose defensive starters, I believe they started a defensive back that even I had trouble identifying at first. <laughs> and I pretty much know that team inside and out. So, uh, yeah, you're and, playing against guys who are borderline uh, scabs. And Cody Kessler, he got hurt again. Yep. So you're, see- you're seeing way more of Kevin Hogan than you ever wanted to in your life. Hollywood Kevin Hogan, who broke 100 <laughs> yards on the ground today. What? On yes. seven carries? Yes. That's crazy. Oh, crazy legs Hogan. You know, you know, remember that one time when uh, Tony Sperano shocked defenses with the Wildcat? That was yes. Kevin Hogan in the shotgun, <laughs> in the read option. No one saw that one coming. Very nice. And, and Wes, you know I am uh, always have my, my eye uh, looking at the um, next-gen stats. With oh, doubt. yeah, I'm sure you do. Uh, but okay. I do like seeing, because everyone runs 21 miles per hour. Everyone runs 20 like miles per hour. Like a cybernetic eye. <laughs> I do like uh, Jeremy Hill ripping off a 74-yard touchdown. So I'm top out at 20.17 miles per hour. It's pretty fast for Jeremy Hill. I kind of like that. It's fast ball. for Jeremy Hill. It's not fast for an NFL starting running back. <laughs> uh, that's what I mean. Like It's like, oh, he goes 20.1, and the other guy goes 21.1, and one guy's slow as hell, and the other guy's a speedster. I can't keep up with all well, this. Well, it's because you're dealing with, like, David. David Johnson runs just over 22 miles an hour at his fastest, and he's one of the fastest running backs in the league. So there's only, what, 0.2 mile per hour difference between a slow running back and a fast running back by NFL terms? Yeah. And, you know, so Cincinnati gets a win uh, that they needed, uh, you know, a get, a get healthy win for the Bengals. And on the Brown side, and, and Nick will will leave you uh, with this, uh, your thoughts on this. Um, now 0-7. And there was there was this run the, for most of the season where they've been competitive and they're hanging around in games. Are you worried that not being able to steal any of those games as the injuries rack up that you could be entering into that dangerous 0-12, 0-13? Are you worried a little bit about the big Zilcho? Crank up the logins. We're going to the danger zone. Without a doubt. <laughs> Without a doubt. This team is very, very capable of going 0-16. And everybody says, oh, it's, it's really hard to go 0-16. But with the turnover on the roster from week to week, it's it's almost unprecedented. The fact that we've looked at now six quarterbacks for the Browns and all the other injuries they're dealing with everywhere else. I keep pinning as they might steal one against San Diego in week 14, but San Diego's starting to turn it around. San Diego's a much better team. Exactly. Yeah. So they could very well go 0-16. See, this is it's good to have Shook in here because the light went out behind Sessler's eyes talking about the Browns. <laughs> so it's kind of like it's hard to get to these kind of takes from Mark. But Nick, younger, less world-weary, is able to just share the pathos of being a Browns fan in a different way. And we thank you for that. Oh, thanks for having me. All right. Nick Shook exits the building. If I ever become tremendously successful and Nick gets hit with, hit with a felony or something and is unable to build on his sports career, I'm going to hire him as my bodyguard, manager, everything else. Does that <laughs> sound good, Nick? that doesn't happen. Okay. I would probably very well. 
I mean, I hope he doesn't get hit with a felony. <laughs> yeah. That submarine's that career. Happen. No felonies for sure. Because Nick is a talented writer and uh, obviously knows his stuff and is a uh, Cleveland uh, diehard. I like yes. Cleveland diehards. He, he puts on for the city, and it's, it's, it's good to see the ups. So we hate seeing the downs, but I was happy to see Nick able to tweet through a Cavaliers championship, and, and who knows? That's true. Who knows? Which takes us to Sunday night. Oh, Sunday night. Oh, Sunday night. <laughs> Veteran move by Hanzoos. One more, Gary, get me going. Oh, Sunday night. Where do we start, Chris Wessling, on the Sunday night football game uh, between the Seattle Seahawks and Arizona Cardinals? One of the strangest endings to a game that I have ever seen, personally. And uh, and and Wes, first of all, six six tie. We'll start right there. Are you freaking kidding me? Six six tie. Game could have ended in no other way. Between the Seattle Seahawks and Arizona Cardinals, a, a game in which we went into overtime at 3-3. Cardinals held the lead 3-0 deep into the fourth quarter. Seattle ties it up late. We go into overtime, of course, after only six points in 60 minutes. The teams then trade field goals in overtime. And then what happens? The Arizona Cardinals uh, take over. And... Uh, I, I still can't believe this. Uh, we're even talking about this right now. I'm still stunned. The Arizona Cardinals take over uh, their th- second position of overtime. They go down the field. Uh, there's a play in which it appears David Johnson kicks a pylon, and the ball is very close to going over. But instead of um, you know the inside two minutes, uh, well, we weren't inside two minutes yet, so there was no review coming from upstairs. And instead of the Cardinals taking a look at it, they ran a quick play to Johnson again. It got stuffed on third down. All right, they're good. Everything's good with the Cardinals. They're going to win this game. First score wins after those first two positions, possessions. All they need is Chandler Catanzaro. Catanzaro. I won't forget that name. Catanzaro. Chandler Catanzaro. Catanzaro. Catanzaro to make a damn kick. We're talking 24 yards. 24-yard attempt. Oh, he hits the upright. It's no good. How in the world? (laughs) It has been a nightmare. It has been a nightmare for this team. He yoinks it. Catanzaro? Catanzaro. Catanzaro yoinks it, Wes. And why, explain to the audience why this game had been a nightmare to this point, even before that kick. It wasn't a nightmare in any way. No, 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 no. I'm talking about for the Cardinals, it should have never even been in this position to start with. Oh, my God. So much has happened. I don't even know why. <laughs> well, they they outgained Seattle. They- oh, they had 18 first down to four for Seattle with a minute left. They had 302 yards to 105 for Seattle with a minute left. David Johnson had 53 more yards than the entire Seattle offense despite having 35 yards worth of holding penalties. The Cardinals had thoroughly outplayed them. So then Seattle takes over. The whole building's in shock. Wes and I, we're, we're just sitting here catatonic. And Seattle goes down the field. Doug Baldwin springs free on a missed tackle from Honey Badger. It looks like he's going in to end the game. He gets stopped just short. And Pete Carroll, he can't believe his luck. 
He's like, we're Seattle Seahawks. We're about to steal another freaking game like this. Sends one of the best kickers in the league out there. Steven Hauschka out on the field for a 28-yard attempt with 11 seconds to play in the overtime period. A chip shot much shorter than the uh, current PAT. Game over, right? John Ryan to hold. Oh. And he misses it. <laughs> That's impossible. Oh, my God. That is impossible. Oh, my goodness gracious. That could not have happened. You know what? Maybe this is justice for all concerned. Oh, man. <laughs> Great call. And Al, when Al says it's impossible, that guy's seen it all. He yoinks it as well. Uh-huh. And that's it. The game ends. Two plays later, the Cardinals, the clock runs out. 6-6 six, six, tie, Wes. And your thoughts on the game, because I think your thoughts, and I certainly agree with you, a lot of people on Twitter are saying, oh, perfect way for this horrible game to end. What are your thoughts about this game? What a beautiful, beautiful mess of a ball game. <laughs> the best game of the year, in my opinion. Two teams with playoff intensity. One, the mentally toughest football team I've seen in the 21st century, the Seattle Seahawks of the past half decade. And the Cardinals are a team that is now a defense-heavy team that tries to stand blow-to-blow with a team like the Seahawks. They needed this game. They're now 3-3-1. and one. Three out of their next four games are at Carolina. At Minnesota and at Atlanta, they were desperate. They knew they needed this game. It was a dogfight, and you saw the results on the field with two defenses just going toe-to-toe and smash-mouth game. I loved every minute of it. So much on the line in this game. I think, yeah, and a lot of this, I think people who have various fantasy players in the lineups of these two teams, that's what people are barking about because that's a part of what – the NFL fandom is about now. But if you're somebody that looks beyond that, this was a really uh, intense effort, as Wes said, on both sides. But, you know, it's the the kickers will how, will be how this game is re- remembered. And Catanzaro, when they – Catanzaro? Catanzaro. <laughs> Listen, I'm, I, I'm cooked. I'm I went done. to school with a kid two years older than me whose last name was Catanzaro. That's the only reason Catanzaro. why. Catanzaro. Catanzaro. His 1,000-yard stare after his miss – on the sideline, and you fell for the kid because that's not a, it doesn't get much worse. And you know who didn't let him off the hook after the game was Bruce Arians. Uh, this from Clarence Hill uh, is Fort Star Telegraph. Is that Hill? Fort Star Telegram? I think so. Uh, Arians has no sympathy for his kicker. Uh, the quote, this is professional. This ain't high school, baby. You got you get paid to make it. And listen, uh, absolutely, that game was over. And I tweeted before Hauschka missed his kick that this was going to be, to me, one of the worst losses I had ever seen a team suffer because they essentially had the ball. Uh, if I uh, check out this uh, the play-by-play here, they had the ball uh, first down basically at Seattle's uh, goal line. And they brought out the kicker. I'm going to start calling him the kicker because I can't say his name. Captain Zero? Yes. <laughs> Say it like a stroke victim. <laughs> Captain Zero. He's not going to invite you over for spaghetti. I feel like, I, <laughs> yeah, I feel like uh, regarding Henry after watching this game, but uh, to miss to miss that kick, they brought him out on third down just to make sure the snap was fine. They probably could have rushed it one more time with David Johnson and I, just forget about all this, and maybe teams will learn because kickers get the yips. It's a tough position. Cardinals fans have to be so confused by this game because the coach who goes by the mantra, no risk it, no biscuit, 
no longer coaches like he has that kind of team. Mm. He should have run Johnson one more time because that's the no-risk-it-no-biscuit approach. But he, he doesn't have the firepower anymore to throw caution to the wind. And I think that we picked up on this. Mark has been saying this for a couple of weeks, that Arians doesn't have the same mojo this year. And that's probably part of it. He just doesn't have the same innate confidence in the makeup. Well, not the makeup, but the, like the firepower of his offense this year. And Hauschka's miss was uh... – Equally bad, maybe not quite as bad, but it, it is very close to as bad. But, you know, in a way, it was perfect for this game to end this way because the Seahawks uh, probably didn't deserve to win the game at that point. And the Cardinals, you know, they played they played a far superior game in a lot of ways, and they just could not finish it. So that's where we are, 3-3-1 three, three and one for the Cardinals, 4-1-1 one and one for the Seahawks. And that, uh, again, you say it's a terrible game, uh, Twitterverse. You know, come back to us because that was not a, a beautiful symphony of football, but it was fun and entertaining and wild and memorable. I say that. if you don't think that was a beautiful game, you need a more sophisticated football palette. Bang, deal with that. All right. I just want to thank everyone who helped out today. This was a, uh, a kitchen sink podcast. Uh, with some people down, lo- missing some bodies. So a special thank you uh, to Alex Gelhar, uh, to Marcus Grant, to Nick Shook. A special extra thank you to Patrick Claiborne, who on short notice stepped in for the whole show. Uh, he couldn't be with us, obviously, for the Sunday night game, uh, which we would have mentioned earlier on. Uh, but we were just so frazzled by what happened in Sunday night football. And a special extra thank you to La Cid, who put it all together. Uh, that's why she's on Mount Rushmore and is one of the greatest in the business. Let's go home. Man, I am I'm shredded. <laughs> Emotionally. Catanzaro, Catanzaro. This is Dan Hansa signing off for the mailman and La Cid. Come back, Greg. Come back, Mark. We'll see you guys on Tuesday. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas, and more, cheap Caribbean vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book using our exclusive budget beach finder or find a featured all-inclusive package to Hyatt Ziva Riviera Cancun at CheapCaribbean.com. That's CheapCaribbean.com. Turns out, a delightfully clean home can make for a delightful start to the day. At Mrs. Myers, everything they make is inspired by the garden. With plant-derived and other thoughtfully chosen ingredients, their cleaning products smell like a dream and work like the Dickens, leaving your home sparkly clean and your to-do list tackled in no time. Goodness, there's no better feeling than that. Mrs. Myers, rooted in goodness. Visit MrsMyers.com today. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. 
Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a Corolla built just for you. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places.